The big scripture um, that describes hope is from Romans 15, 13. Just one verse. If you're hearing this for the first time, this is loaded with uh, remarkable declarations. This is what Paul says. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Oftentimes, hope is tied to a need for help. If someone came to you today and said, this has been the worst season of my life, I can't think straight, my emotions are a wreck, I, I don't know where I am anymore, I don't know who I am anymore, you might be inclined to say to them, I, I think we need to get you some help to help sort out all that's happened to you and where you should go as a result of it. May I take you to a place in my life where I, I needed help very, very badly. Things were not going well in, on this particular day. Uh, it was back in 1971. I was uh, working with eight other guys in the Rochester area, in a suburb of Rochester, Pittsford, New York. Very affluent uh, suburb. But the town, the town of Pittsburgh, had, was having a problem. A lot of the teens and young adults were gathering in town, just not having much to do, and they were causing trouble, and the, built, and the problem was building. And so a couple of churches in town called out to some of the Christian groups, like Young Life and Campus Life and that, and said, do you have any people who could come and do ministry, live in town, do ministry, do coffee houses, and, uh, and just be there. Start groups with these kids, these young adults. Could you, could you do that? And so a couple of churches went together, opened up this house. I was one of eight guys. It was a particular snowy day in Rochester. My wife thinks every day in Rochester is a snowy day. There's four or five that are not, so... So it was a really snowy day. The snow banks were piling up in, on the front porch uh, and the railing, and you go over into these snow banks. And uh, the servants' quarters, as we called it, was closed for the day. There were only two of us in the house. And I was down on the main floor and pounding on the front door. And it, were, it was three of the guys that uh, the church fathers and mothers in town were particularly interested in. They, uh, they had trouble uh, taking part in their life all the time. But they had connected with the servants' quarters, and they wanted in on this very cold and snowy day. But the rule of the day was servants' quarters is closed. The message on the front door said servants' is closed. Uh, we'll meet you again tomorrow, but they were pounding, and so I opened the door, and uh, so I'm kind of facing the door like this, and Clark and Mike and Rick had already opened the storm door, and they just kind of pushed by me, so I'm kind of moving back like this, saying, guys, 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 it's, today is, it's closed, it's closed, no, 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 we're in, we're in, we're in, we're going to stay, and I said, it's really not how that works today, 
So yeah, they're pushing me back, and now I'm trying to push these three guys. One's tall, one's my height, the other one is short and about this wide. And they're all, they're all pushing me back to get me out of the way so they can stay in the servants' quarters. And I'm saying, no, 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 not today. And they're pushing back. And so then they reversed their decision. They said, all right, if we're leaving, so are you. And so they, they started to grab me. They said, we're tossing you out over the porch into the snowbanks. And they had the means to do it. So now, now I'm going this way. And I'm fighting. I'm fighting. I'm pushing. On, and I'm losing. These guys are going to pick me up. And, and they're, now they're mad. Now they're not just, oh, let's, let's do a prank. Now they're very, very mad at me. And they're starting to sputter. And I wish they had masks on because their sputtering was hitting. And we're really wrestling. I'm not Jason Bourne. I cannot dispatch these people. I really can't. So I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm helpless. I'm in their power. And I had one recourse. I had one way of getting help. Because I was going out that door. And I said, hey, Jim, I'm having trouble down here with Mike and Clark and Rick. And from the second floor here, I'm coming, Davy boy. And six foot two, 175 pounds, maybe Jim Thomas came running down that steps. And so there's a group of four people wrestling, and he slams right into the group. Bodies are flying everywhere. And slowly and surely, we collectively moved together, thanks to Jim. We moved these three guys out on the front porch where they needed to be. Jim was my hope, my help, and the scriptures. The scriptures uh, echo that from beginning to end. Here's how help is tied to hope. I will lift up my eyes to the hill. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will never slumber, will never sleep. That's that's a place to land our confidence that when we need help, there's hope in this one that's not just a weak need God. This is the God who made the heavens and the earth. We call out to him. We keep Psalm 121 just roaring in our hearts as long as we need it to in order to settle this need we have for hope, the power of hope, right in the middle of this faith thing we have going with Jesus and this love thing we have going with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit is this hope. Can I take it to another place? Uh, uh, a Rite Aid on North Main in Jamestown a couple of winters ago. Again, another winter freezing out. Snow all over the place and the, and the sidewalks weren't, weren't clear and it was really hard and the right aid at Jamestown uh, is right in front of a long hill that leads up to another level of Jamestown. I'm standing in line. I picked up my prescriptions. I'm standing in line, and there's a young lady in front of me, maybe four or five others in front of her, and all of a sudden she turns to me and she says, are you driving? And uh, beer on her breath. She's got beer and coffee and, and bread. And a frail young lady. 
I said, I, I'm sorry, sorry. She said, are you driving? Did you drive here? And I said, uh, yes, I did. I, my car's right out in the parking lot. She said, could I have a ride? Getting down here was awful. Going back up that hill, I, I just can't do it. And so I have a split-second decision to make here. And I, I said, yes, but the thought right behind that was, maybe, maybe she's an escapee from criminal minds. What am I going to do? I'll be alone in the car with, with a wild woman. What do I do? And, 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 and what if I make a gesture and she thinks I'm trying to hurt her and she yells out, police, police, bad guy, bad guy. But I said, yes, and so we're, we're just moving forward and then the, the wonderful moment where we go out to the car and as she's getting into the car, she looks at me and she says, I'm not a crazy woman, you know. And I, I said, good, because I'm not a crazy man. And she said, good. So we're in the car, and I introduce myself, and I tell her I'm a pastor. And that was the reason for why she started to really open up about her life. It took about four or five minutes to negotiate the hill and the roads, and she told me a lot. She said, I moved over to this part of the county because this is where the father of my child is, and this is where my child is, and I no longer have custody over her, but... My social service director says that if I, if I take care of many, many things in my life and I've started to connect with AA and a church down the street is, has reached out to me and they're really nice and I, I think I'll be able to get some work. And I've just got this little room on the third floor of this house. And my heart just went out to her because uh, all of the agencies that are reaching out to help her in the church, hopefully they'll represent this kind of satisfaction that's missing in this precious woman's life. She's not a satisfied woman. Many areas of her life are really hurting, and she's grasping, and she's reaching for the wrong things, but she's she's not satisfied. Let me take it to some other people that You'd think we're satisfied, but they weren't. In the first week of April of 2018, the world was shocked by two very, very, very famous people, beloved people. A designer who kind of took the designing world over. Her name was Kate Spade. I didn't know her from anybody, but once it was announced on the Today Show that Kate Spade had been found dead, by suicide. I mean, this woman had everything, didn't she? We think. We wonder. We see someone like her or this other famous person that three days later was found over in, in Europe, dead, Anthony Burbain, chef, TV personality, author, expert on this and that, going into all these cultures to discover their food and the way they lived and Who would have thought that these two people were not satisfied? There was something missing. They would take their lives three days apart from each other. And the world can't can't fathom it. What, What would cause somebody with all the money they'd ever need and all the fame and all the fan adoration they could ever wish for? And you and I sometimes wonder, boy, wouldn't that be the life? To have all of it, to have it all. To be able to say, this is really living, but 
Not for them. It wasn't so. These two precious souls ended their lives because like the poor woman in Rite Aid and the well-known people on top of their own individual mountains, they hadn't reached satisfaction. Jesus said satisfaction is when we hunger and thirst for righteousness. Then will be satisfied. This is where hope runs in to the middle of it. When we become seekers of satisfaction because we want, we're hungry and thirsty for righteousness, for righteousness that comes from God in a relationship with God, for righteousness that comes and, and blooms and blossoms when we trust in Jesus, for righteousness that lives in us. It's not just placed upon us, it's in us because the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in your life and in my life. And we know from the day of our salvation, we had this kind of satisfaction that, that outmatched anything we had ever had in this life. Maybe your salvation day was a day in which it just, it just topped off all the good that was ever happening in your life. You recognized you lacked one thing and you found Jesus and then your sins are forgiven and, and the way was clear. Maybe your salvation day was a day in which you were in, in the depths of despair and degradation and Jesus pulled you out of that miry clay, put your feet on a solid rock and you, from that moment on, you sang a whole new song. Satisfaction is really one of the key elements of hope. And when we need satisfaction, we have this hope that God will be able to move right down the middle of our lives and, and give us something. So hope is the heart cry of the person that drops out after seventh grade and the person with two doctorates until they have found the solid rock in which our lives stand, Jesus, there really is something very much missing in the life of the best that our culture can offer and the one that's struggling in a mighty way at the lower rung of society. So God says to the church, the writer of Romans says to the church, may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace. Fill you with joy and peace. So what is the, the Christian worldview in times like this? This hope, this hope is connected to joy and peace. Dennis Kinlaw, great scholar and leader at uh, Asbury College and Seminary for many decades, said hope is a heart at peace. The war is over. We're, we're completely committed to the love of God and the grace of Jesus and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. We're all in. That's where hope settles in our lives. We know who to turn to. We know who to promote. We know who to project. We know. 
That does not mean that the hardest of things can and do happen. That you could be witnesses to the hardest of things. A couple of years ago, I was witness to one of the hardest things I've ever seen. In Gary, the fire whistle goes off a lot. Not just for fires, but for ambulance calls. So we Christians and Gary know every time that fire whistle goes off, we, we know to pray for the volunteer firemen and, and the volunteer ambulance directors because they're going up to Heritage Village or Route 60 is a very difficult road to maneuver. And a lot of stuff happens on Route 60 in that part of Chautauqua County. So they call out a lot. And the text on my phone says, tractor accident. Man unresponsive. Being part of the fire department, I, I went. It's a February night. It's bitter outside. Already, dozens and dozens of people had arrived on this farm. And back about 100 yards in the farm, 17-year-old young man named Alan. Tractor overturned on him, and he was gone. He was dead. And the toughest of firemen, the toughest, the people who, in the ambulance who had seen that came walking back from that scene were just shaken. It was horrendous. And a couple of his friends had run out into the field to kind of catch up with them, and they saw it all happen. The tractor turned over on this kid about to graduate from Casadega Valley. So you just saw the hardest and the worst things happening and people trying to comfort and the family inside and their whole world has just crashed with their boy. And finally, the, the uh, death certificate was signed and they could bring the body out. By that time, there was one fireman, there were two men from the funeral home and me at the back of the hearse. And there's body bag. I'd never seen a body bag before. All these years of ministry, I'd escaped that moment of life. But he was dead. Where's the hope? Where's the hope? And a body that was so alive, and now it's dead. Here's where the hope is. From 1 Peter. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, Pastor Joe will tell you, if you ever ask him, did you know Alan? Alan Harding? Oh, yeah. Our teen group was ministering to him. And he, was, he had responded to Jesus. In, his, in the course of his last year in high school. So the hope of a body bag, what Christianity says, he's already in the presence of Jesus. That's where the hope comes from, a living hope from this Father of Jesus Christ. A living hope. He's giving us this mercy the Christianity has this message for all who are living that the end of life is not the end. There is eternal life. Jesus described it this way. 
because we're prone to just think of eternity as that place that will land us in heaven, in paradise. But Jesus put it down on earth first. He said, this is eternal life, to know the one true God and to know his only son, Jesus Christ, of whom God sent. This is eternal life. This is where hope and faith and love all start, in a relationship with God. And here's where our hearts break. We, we, we look at the body bag and we say, all right, Alan's in a better place now. And because of his faith in Christ, that's exactly true. But so many times in funeral homes, and I just had a conversation with somebody a couple weeks ago who said, his mother had passed away. She's in her 80s, early 90s. And, and without any other commentary, without any other evidence, he just said, she's in a better place. And have you ever been temp- tempted? Now, this man is still in some grief here. Have you ever been tempted to say, how do you know? How do you know that she is in a better place? You say, well, Dave, just let people's faith be private. Maybe she had... Faith is not private. It's personal. But it extends into our whole being. We have a relationship with God and his son and the Holy Spirit and it shows and it presents itself. It's not private. It's personal. You and I are light and salt. And and both of those things are very active. So please, by asking that question, I'm I'm not a judge. I want I want to help if there's a way before somebody signs off on this planet, if there's a way where they they can know for sure that eternal life has already begun in their lives. It doesn't start then. It starts now. It starts when we come to Jesus. It starts when God our Father creates us as a child of God. Born of faith, because that verse says it's a living hope through the resurrection of Christ. We've been brought into a new birth. So our hearts, they should be a little bit uneasy. Now I'm going to tell you something that you probably won't like me. Maybe you don't like me anyway. It's all right. It's okay. Put your mask back on. You're Polluting the whole place. What's the matter with you? Oh, there. Many years ago, this is our first pastorate in uh, Willow Grove, Pennsylvania. And uh, I had agreed to be uh, a chaplain one night a month to take the, the pager from the on-staff chaplain at Abington Hospital and spend the, from 5 o'clock to 7 o'clock the next morning answering the pager, wherever a chaplain was needed in the hospital. Then I would answer the pager, middle of the night, whenever. So one night, the beeper went off about 11 o'clock, and I went to ICU area, and a woman, an aged woman was coding. 
and they were doing their best to bring her back, and they couldn't. And her son was right outside. And I spent about an hour with her, with her son. Let's call him John. With John just processing his grief, just being there for him. And at the end of it, when I took mom out of the room and he had to say goodbye for now, he said, uh, we, don't, we don't really know any preachers. Could you, would you think about doing my mom's funeral? She's a wonderful person. Would, would you do mom's funeral for us? And I said I would. We talked more about mom, what she did, she was. And then at the funeral, because, because there were certain things I, di- I did not know about her, that as a minister of the gospel, I just could not proclaim. And you'll understand that in just a minute. I, I felt like I could affirm who this person was, who this woman was, and just and have other people stand up and kind of add to the volume of who this woman was. Tell stories about her. And, uh, and then when it came time for me to preach, I preached about how someone can know that they're going to heaven to believe in Jesus. So uh, the next day, the son called me and said, do you have some time to talk? And I said, I sure do. So he came to my office, and he sat down, and he said, I listened carefully to everything that you said yesterday. I did not hear you say that my mother was in heaven. And I said, I, I couldn't say that because I didn't, I didn't know with certainty that she was a believer. He said, well, what does that have anything to do with it? She was a great woman. She, she loved people. She, so what if she wasn't church? What, what are you saying? Are you saying that my mother is in hell? Very long pause here. Very long pause. I said, I hope that she's not. I hope that she's in heaven. I hope that someone helped her to find out who Jesus was. I hope that in her heart of hearts, she believed in him. He's the resurrection and life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the one that brings anyone and everyone to the Father. He just shook his head. She was a good woman. How can you say that? And he left. The gospel of faith, hope, and love affirms as much as it denies. So when you and I say that Jesus Christ is the way and the truth and the life, and in the comfort of our own church, we feel at ease with that. When you say it on radio or when you say it at a family meal with all kinds of thinkers at the table. When, when you say it in an emergency ward or in a funeral and you don't say as a result I, I can celebrate that she's in heaven and it sounds pretty narrow but I don't have any right as a Christian to just make an assumption about someone's eternity. I can only preach to the living And so can you. Tell the living 
how someone gets to heaven because that's the hope that's within me. That's how I'm getting to heaven, so to speak. At my memorial service, it doesn't matter that I was a pastor and a leader. They might affirm that. They might say they love me and I help them and all that kind of stuff. But what will really come down, did I live my life for truth? Did I live my life for you, Jesus? Did I trust you as my redeemer and my savior? And that's how the pastor proclaiming to all my family and all my friends, Dave's in heaven today because he trusted Jesus Christ as his savior and his Lord. That was his living hope. He was born again. And that's how and why he, li- he did what he did. Colossians 1, 13 and 14 says, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. I love that. As much as I love telling the story of Jim Thomas saving my neck that day on the front porch, don't you just love telling this story that there really is a dominion of darkness that would cause people to lose hope, to be in despair, to be totally undone. There is a dominion of darkness that traps us in our sin. I'm not trapped in sin, people would say. Yeah, I have some problems with some sin. Well, Jesus put it this way, and my wife Sherry and I had a little discussion about this. Do you think it was fair of Jesus to say this? He was talking to the Jewish listeners who had begun to follow him, and they were talking about Abraham being his father, and And for some reason, Jesus was moved to simply say, if anyone sins, they become a slave to that sin. A slave? I can stop doing that whenever I put my mind to. You ever said that? Or thought that? Sure, I can stop sinning whenever I put my mind to it. Jesus knew better. He knew that sin will grasp us and not let go until someone rescues us from that sin. That's where our hope is regarding sin. When you and I become a Christian, the Wesleyan movement, John Wesley and all the rest, the Wesleyans and the Nazarenes and the United Methodists believe that we do not have to sin. Now you're going to hear from all their really, really sound preachers and radio people that you will sin in thought, word, and deed every day. That's just the way our lower nature works. But the Wesleyan way says, no, we do not have to sin because we have victory in Jesus. And part of the dominion of darkness would want to convince us that we can't get out of this Completely. We may stop lying for a while, stop lusting, stop loving the world for a while, but we won't completely get it out of our systems until we die. And then we'll be perfect. And while Wesley and all the rest of them did not say we will be 
perfect, never sin. The Wesleyan way, the Wesleyan Arminian doctrine says we do not have to sin every day in thought, word, and deed. We can have victory. That's where the hope is of a real new life actually becoming new and the thoughts and the emotions and the attitudes and the beliefs that tie every sin that you and I commit. It's not just the sin, it's all that feeds the sin that the dominion of darkness want us to stay stuck in that sin. And the only way out of that is what Paul describes here. He res- God rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his beloved son, whom he loves, in whom we have redemption. We were slaves to sin, and the selling price was anything the world, the flesh, or the devil would pay to keep us in enslavement to sin. But here is the promise. We have redemption. Somebody paid for our sin. His blood covers and cleansed us from our sins. And the blood of Christ purifies us, present tense and future tense, all backed into one, batched up into one. So where you and I struggle with sin, and we do, don't we? We really do. And we think, well, that's just me. I, I, I. No, that's just me, not thinking I have a rescuer, a redeemer, a forgiver of my sins who cleansed me. I tell you the truth, folks. God goes to work in our lives on what we believe about a particular sin, what we feel about a particular sin, what, what we think about a particular sin, and he begins to clean up that unrighteousness. It's not just forgive me my sin, Father, cleanse me from all the thoughts and emotions and feelings. Every time I want to throw an anger fit, every time I want to just tell half the truth, every time I want to lift myself up over somebody else and look down on them. Cleanse all that so that we represent the kingdom of God's beloved son. He just loves his son. And the son is glorified by the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit lives in me and in you. So they want us to have many more victories than we have defeats. I don't think I'm going to reach perfection. And there'll be a few people around me who will agree with that. (laughs) But I have this hope that more and more and more of me, my thoughts, my feelings, my beliefs about something that usually causes me to sin will be dealt with and handed over to God. Dennis Kinlaw says, the heart at peace is totally committed to God. And and the winning section of that says, that means he's at work in every single area of my life. That before, 
I just felt helpless and hopeless that I could never get out of there. And so I, I just pray for the woman that I met at Rite Aid that a couple of years later, she's on the victory side of those things. She's tempted. She's struggling. But she found Jesus. I'm praying for that. And for the loved ones of Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain, I'm praying they'll find out that there was someone that loved their mother, their wife, their husband, their father, so their last breath, the Holy Spirit was brooding over those two lives and every other life that's feeling like, I have to end this. I can't do this anymore. It's not working. Holy Spirit is brooding. And the church and its members may be the person that finally intercedes and intervenes and gives that person the word of hope. And why is that? Why do I even think that would happen? The final scripture comes from 1 Peter 3.15. But in your hearts, sanctify Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who will ask you to give the reason for the hope that is inside of you. 1 Peter 3.15 is a good verse to memorize because that process of God cleaning up our lives is called sanctification. And so honor and put Jesus Christ in the middle of your heart and let everything else find its place. But keep Jesus first, holy, sanctified in our hearts. And then this hope will keep rising and building and forming a muscular approach to this life where people will notice that you have hope and it's tied to somebody who has all the power in the universe. You have hope. You have hope in forgiveness. You have hope in righteousness and justice and peace and all the things that our country's crying for. Someday, maybe, they'll all shout, yeah, we found it in Jesus, not in something else, not in somebody else, not in some political party. We found it in Christ our Lord because the nation and its leaders and its people sanctified Christ in their hearts. That's where, that's where this all changes. Somebody is going to pick up on the waves of hope from your life, and they aren't going to get you at all. Say, what on earth makes you so hopeful? And you and I will be able to explain it's about the one who is living, sanctified in our hearts. Are you a, a person of hope today? You have hope? The old hymn, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Do you have hope? Do you need hope for what's going on? To me, it really seems to be tied in that place where we go to Jesus and say, what's my place in all this that is happening? What do you want me to do? 
I'm a man of hope. I'm a woman of hope. We're a family of hope. What do you want us to do? Lead us, guide us. Oh, Holy Spirit, and during these troubled times so that, so that we'll be able to report back that there's some people who are really starting to look for God because of the hope that they found here at Bemis Point or the hope that they found listening to you talk about your small group or the hope that they found when they just flat out asked you and me, what on earth is with you? How can you have peace in your heart And you can take the conversation from there, and so will I. You pray with me this morning. So, Father, we've just asked that this faith and this love that kind of takes all the attention today, we hope that hope has just squeezed right into that trio, and, and we can be people of faith, hope, and love. And there can be some real stellar moments in the, in the days ahead where this church and its ministries and its leaders and its members and its attenders, we, we can all have this renewed sense of hope that comes from the Lord, that comes from the scriptures, that comes from somebody that you send to our lives who in essence says, I'm coming I'm coming and they name us and we know that you sent that person and sometimes we will be the person that you send to someone who's down and without hope in this world. We pray, Father, that we will not only have this peace and joy, we will be overflowing with hope, as Paul says. We want that for our lives and we want that to honor you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let the benediction today, this is the call of worship from the second service, but I might as well read it here. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, before you formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Eternal God, we worship you and we give you praise. Amen. Have a wonderful week. Bless